0: Well, good evening. I want to mention again how thoroughly I've enjoyed being back with you. There is no way I could mean any more than I did what I said this morning about every time I've been here, you made me feel so wanted and welcome. As always, good to be back with you, and I have thoroughly enjoyed the time. I've also enjoyed spending time this weekend in the home of Steve Lowe and his granddaughter Nisa, and I want to tell you that is a fantastic place to spend the weekend. I'd even suggest that some weekend you're tired staying in your house, like to say in somebody else's for a while, just go on over there, spend an entire weekend with them. They would be delighted to have you, and I promise you next weekend would not be too soon. (laughs) I'm moving out. Why don't you move in? (laughs) Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Larry, now I know you enjoy having fun, but that's carrying it too far. They've been so nice to open up their home to you. Now, you open up their home to everybody else. That is not what I'm doing. They made it crystal clear when I got there yesterday Larry. this is your house. Make yourself a home. So I'd like to invite you to my house <laughs> as soon as you're scheduled, I'll get to make it. But again, I thoroughly enjoyed being with them and also with you. Now, tonight we're going to have what I call a mini seminar on evangelism. The reason I call this a mini seminar is because our ministry, evangel has a four-hour seminar called You Can Tell It. That covers everything from how do you turn in conversation spiritual things to how do you follow up a new convert called the You Can Tell seminar, and there's no way I would try to cover in one hour. We teach in four because I want to have you out here by ten o'clock. At the same time, whenever I have a time like this, there's so much I'd like to say and so little time to say it in. I always feel like the guy who is driving 80 miles an hour down a road that was called Route 82. Now, a policeman stopped him for speeding. And he said, you gotta be crazy. Sign says 82, I was only going 80. A policeman said, that is a route number, you fool, that's not the speed limit. The guy said, <laughs> I'm sure the latter of you says something. You should have seen me on 501. <laughs> well, I feel like I have to travel about 501 and say everything I want to say in our time together. But I hope that you're fine, awfully beneficial. What is so scary about evangelism, and how do you overcome those fears? Now, notice how I start. Most believers admit they do not speak to others about Christ with any consistency. Ask the question, why don't you, and they will answer in one word. A number of years ago, when Pastor Lee was your pastor, we were going through the flea free, free market here in the Bahamas. I said that one of the people behind the counter was free. She said, the only thing I know is free is salvation. I said, why is it free? She says, because all you got to do is receive it. I said, why do you just have to receive it? She said, because Jesus already paid the price when he died for you. That woman did not know me. And yet, the first chance she had, she used to say to me, Christ died for you. Now, there's no one here with any kind of walk with Christ that would not like to have that kind of boldness. But there's one four-letter word that tells you what a problem is. And the pastor told me, ever gets the word right, he'll give you his salary for this month. So who knows what i put out word is say it out loud. Fear. <laughs> there goes ten months salary. <laughs> but it's more blessed to give than receive. Right. F-E-A-R-Fear. Fear. That's what you write in there. F-E-A-R fear. Now with that in mind, notice how I continue. What are we afraid of? One are all four and frighten us, they are. A number of years ago I wrote an article for National an Magazine, and the article was entitled what is so intimidating about evangelism? I addressed four different areas. In the following two weeks, we received over 300 letters at our office because of how people identified with the article, and this seminar grew out of that article. Now, there's no way I can tell you everything I'd like to in these four areas. I am not going to try. What I am going to try to do is give you a new perspective, new way to look at these four areas. Because sometimes perspective changes everything. I love the story of the university girl who wrote home from the university, and she said, Dear Mom and Dad, I had dropped out of school, moved in with a guy, expecting a baby in May, looking forward to seeing you soon, your daughter Barbara. Then she wrote, P.S., none of the above is true, but I did get an F in my last exam. (laughs) Sometimes perspective changes everything, (laughs) and what I want to do is give you a new perspective Numerically, four areas. Okay, so what are they? Here we go, number one. I do not know how to turn a conversation to spiritual things. I do not know how to turn a conversation to spiritual things. In other words, we don't know how to go from sports to the spiritual. Now, with that in mind, I want to ask and answer two questions. What's the problem? And secondly, what's the solution? Okay, first of all, what's the problem, number one? you're using the wrong approach. You're using the wrong approach. Number one, you're using the wrong approach. You say, Larry, what do you mean by that? Three things, A. You begin by listening, not talking. Number one, you begin by listening, not talking. You begin by listening, not talking. Now, look at the next line. The goal is to get them talking, wow, what is the next force? Say it out loud. You listen. People are good at turning conversations, are not good talkers. They are good listeners. And the whole time they are listening, listening for any way to turn the conversation and go from sports to spiritual. But you don't have to be a good talker. You have got to be a good listener. And people are great at turning conversations, don't know how to talk. What they really know how to do is listen. Okay, B, you begin by freeing up, F-R-E-E-I-N-G, not freezing up. You begin by freeing up, F-R-E-E-I-N-G, not freezing up. In other words, God's giving you a dynamite mind. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. When you free up instead of freeze up, that mind's in operation, and you begin to think of all kinds of ways to turn the conversation. But you got to free up, not free up. Okay, C. The flow of the conversation must be natural, not forced. The flow of the conversation must be natural, not forced. The flow of the conversation must be natural, not forced. The flow of the conversation must be natural, not forced. Now look at that next line. That's why for some people it take longer to turn the conversation than for others. If you said to me in any given conversation, how long does it take to go from forced to spiritual? I would say sometimes five minutes, sometimes 50 minutes, sometimes five hours, or on occasion five days. But the flow of the conversation has to be natural. It cannot be forced. Sometimes we are having trouble turning conversations. It's because we are trying to do it too abruptly. As you can imagine, I do a tremendous amount of flying, and I have found the airplanes are great opportunities to witness. I've also found the rough the flight, the better the opportunity. <laughs> but one time I was flying from Dallas to Philadelphia. The woman sitting right next to me had gotten on the plane in Las Vegas, connected in Dallas, then of course was also going to Philadelphia. She told me everything about Las Vegas. Time Magazine told me three weeks later. Time Magazine article was boring. She already told me everything. As we were talking for a while, she said, what do you do? I said, I'm a speaker. I'm in the ministry. She said, are you? I said, do you have some interest in spiritual things? She said, I used to keep God at arm's level, but last year my uncle died of cancer after being diagnosed three months earlier, and my grandmother's now in the hospital. I'm more interested in God than I've ever been before. I said, was anyone ever taken a Bible and shown you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven? She said, no, they haven't. I said, may I? She said, quote, if you would, that would be the greatest favor anyone has ever done. There are 30,000 feet above sea that I wanted privilege of leading her to Christ. Now, is mine being minister helpful? Sure. Was it essential? In no way. All you would have had to do is let the conversation take its natural course, demonstrate any kind of interest in spiritual things, and she'd take it off with you just like she did with me. But the flow of the conversation has to be natural. It cannot be forced. Okay. Now, with that in mind, what solution? Number one, enjoy the conversation. Number one, enjoy the conversation. Number one, enjoy the conversation. Now, do me a favor. Take that word "enjoy" and underline it again. Now, once you underline it, now draw a circle around it. Now, once you draw a circle around it, now box it in. Now, once you box it in, now put a star alongside of it. Now, once you put a song on side of it, now put an asterisk on the other side. (laughs) Now, the only problem is you can't read the word. (laughs) But the point is enjoy the conversation. Have a blast. Talk to people. Now, what do you talk about? Talk about three areas. They are family, job, background. Talk about three areas. Family, job, background. Talk about the family. Talk about the job. Talk about the background. Now, why? Because any non-Christian is an expert in those three areas. His family, his job, his background. He knows a whole lot more than you do. So you take him from an area where he's an expert, where you are, and that's what it means to no know Christ personally. So you are talking about a family, job, the background. Now, I don't want you to have this stuff here. I want you to have a here and here. So what are the three areas? One, A, family, B, C, background, A, B, C, a B, C, a, B, C, A, B, C, A, B, C, B. <laughs> Just want to see if you're with me. Talk about a family job in the background. Okay, number two. Let God direct the flow of the conversation. Let God direct the flow of the conversation. Let God direct the, the, the flow of the conversation. Now, why God? Because you know what is so exciting about evangelism? God is not asking you to bring anybody to Christ. That's his responsibility. God's asking you to bring Christ to anybody. That means you have to be the direct kid, Let him be the director. Now, what does that mean? Two things, A, be open and response to whatever he wants to do, and B, pray as you listen, listen as you pray. What none Christians never know is the whole time I'm having a mouth mouth talk with them, I'm having a heart to heart talk with God. I'm asking God for two things for they are. Ask God for two things. They are: direction and boldness. I say, "God give me direction. God give me boldness. Now I hope it send you out of your seat tonight to know that in 42 years of ministry, ask God for direction and boldness. Now one time has he failed to answer that request, not one time. If I did not have it, because I did not ask God for it. Now again, not here, but here and here. What are the three things you talk about? A, B, C. Two things you ask God for, direction and boldness. Okay, number three, benefit from experience. Number three, benefit from experience. Number three, benefit from experience. Now, look at that next line and tell me if I'm reading it correctly. The more you do it, the tougher it becomes. Your effort transition decreases. Is that right? No, the more you do it, what? Because your repertoire does what? You know why those who do it well, do it well? Because they do it all the time. And the more you do it, you build up a whole repertoire of how you change conversations. And sometime you talk to someone, you think, I know what I said last week helped. Maybe that will help this week. And those who do it well, do it well because they do it all the time. You got a benefit from experience. Okay, four. As you listen and talk. Ask questions that, t- that determine if this conversation might be an open door for the gospel. As you listen and talk, ask questions that determine if this conversation might be an open door for the gospel. Now, don't get hung up on the questions. Get hung up on the kind of questions they are. What do you think the future holds for most of us? People love to talk about the future, even though they're scared to death about it. Do you think people today are more worried and confused than they used to be? Why do you think the problems of the world seem to be getting worse instead of better? And then five, move the conversation from the secular to the spiritual to the gospel. Move the conversation from the secular to the spiritual to the gospel. Move the conversation from the secular to the spiritual to the gospel. Let me ask you something. Did I say to you, go from the secular to the gospel? Is that what I said? No, what I say? Secret of what? And then the gospel. You don't say, I am delighted to hear you're on an airplane pilot. Have you come to point in your life that you know if you're to die, you go to heaven? <laughs> He's going to think, boy, is she afraid of flying. <laughs> Instead, you go from secret or something spiritual. I don't know how many Christians have said to me, Larry, I never thought about that. I don't know of any conversation I've ever had where I've gone from the secular the gospel, you need some type of bridge. So having said what you did under number four, now you say something like this. Do you enjoy reading about religious topics or subjects? Have you attended or become involved in any church in this area? Have you ever examined some of the teachings of the Bible? And then you say, don't you think the most important thing of all is that we know for sure where we're going to die? Has anyone ever taken a Bible showing you a kendo, may I? Now, I hope if nothing else has given you a new perspective, new way of thinking about how you turn a conversation. What are the three things you talk about? A, B, C. What are the two things you ask God for? Direction, boldness. What are the three steps you take? Secular, spiritual, gospel. Great. You guys are great. Okay, number two. What's the second bomb? Number two. I do not know how to present the gospel. I do not know how to present the gospel. You'd be amazed how many people come up to me and say, Larry, even if someone said I want to be saved, I don't think I'd even know how to explain it to them. There are all those who come up with their own method. We have a son who's now 33, living in New Jersey, but when he was about five years old, he decided if his dad was going to be an evangelist, then he would be one too. And he's a people person who had never met a stranger. So he'd walk up to anyone, anywhere and say to them, what are you depending on to get you to heaven? That's where he would start. <laughs> he'd walk up to anyone, anywhere and say, what are you depending on to get you to heaven? <laughs> it's amazing how that opens conversation right up to spiritual things. <laughs> At one time, my wife, he were a hardware store. He runs up to the counter. He says, what are you depending on to get you to heaven? The guy was surprised how abruptly the question came up. He said, well, I go to church I live good. I try to do what's right. And David looked at my wife and he said, he ain't going to make it. <laughs> at that point, my wife had her door of opportunity because <laughs> her job to bail out the conversation. But all of us know five-year-olds get away with stuff that you and I can't. So we better talk about it. Okay, what's the problem, number one? You may not have clear in your mind the message of the gospel and the meaning of saving faith. Now, what do you mean by the A? The message of the gospel is... Christ died for our sins and what? Rose from the dead. May I beg you remember the Bible is 66 books. The gospel is 10 words. What are they? Say them loudly. Christ died for sins and rose from dead. What's the gospel? Christ died for sins and rose from dead. What's the gospel? Christ died for sins and rose from dead. What's the gospel? Christ died for sins and rose from, dead. What's the, died for sins and rose from the dead. The Bible is not the gospel. The Bible is a whole lot more than the gospel. It's about end time events, how to raise your children, how to spend your money. The Bible is six, six books, but the gospel is 10 words. The Bible contains the gospel. The Bible is six, six books, but the gospel is 10 words. What are those 10 words? Christ died for his sins and rose from the dead. Okay, number two. B, rather. The meaning of saving faith is, B, the meaning of saving faith is, Trust in Christ alone the Savior. Meaning of saving faith is trust in Christ alone to save you. Look at the next verse. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. The one book of the Bible is specifically written to tell you how to receive eternal life was the Gospel of John. Ninety-eight times in that book it says, believe, 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 believe. believe. 98 times, it means to trust. We encourage people, don't use phrases like, invite Jesus in your heart. Give your life to God. Not only are they confusing, they don't bring out what the Bible means By believe. it means to trust. One time in Oklahoma, two men were out on a boat. All of a sudden, the boat capsized. The one man could swim, the other could not. So the man who could swim took a gas tank and he emptied it. Pushed a man who could not swim. Man who could not swim took the gas tank, pulled it back under him, rested his way upon it, trusted to save him, and it did. God asked us to come to him as sinners, recognize Christ died for us, and trust in him alone as your only way to heaven. Be sure you're clear on the gospel and the meaning of saving faith, because if it's not clear in your mind, you won't make it clear in theirs. What's the gospel in 10 words? Christ died for sins and rose from the dead. What does believe mean? Trust. Okay, now, two. The second reason we don't know how is you have never learned a. Now, my dear friend Pastor Rob told me, ever got this is right, he gave his salary for the whole year. <laughs> you have never learned a what? S- About five people said it. <laughs> you have never learned a method. <laughs> you have never learned a method. You have never learned a method. Look at the next line. Anyone consistent? Anyone consistent. Anyone consistent? Anyone consistent? May I repeat? As I said this morning, God in kindness I do not deserve, has allowed me to speak in almost every state over 60 foreign locations. I've not met a soul on the face of the earth that's consistent. That does not have a basic method. Now, with that in mind, look what's next. What's the solution? Learn the bad news, good news approach for of the gospel. Learn the bad news, good news approach in the gospel. It's freed up thousands talk about the Savior with clarity and confidence. Some time ago, I flew to Houston to speak. A woman came up to me and she said, Before you came to Houston with your You Can Tell It seminar, I had never led a person to Christ. She said, Now I've led three. And I'm so turned on and I can't get turned off. I said, I hope to God you never do. And what freed her up was a bad news, good news approach. Now, with that in mind, Lay your handouts aside for just a moment and pick up this booklet called May I Ask You a Question. Now, how many of you already know the bad news, good news approach? Let me see your hand. Okay, perhaps maybe 1215, you're going to help me teach the rest. Okay, let's look at it very briefly. Open up what's to say. Has anyone ever taken a Bible and shown you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven? The Bible contains both bad news and good news. Bad news is something about you. The good news is something about God. Let's look at the bad news first. Now, all this is bad news good news. Two points, two verses, and two illustrations for each. You have it all down. You're going to learn it right here, right now. Bad news number one, we are all sinners. Romans 3.23 says, all together out loud, will you? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's the illustration. Sin means we have missed the mark. When we lie, hate, lesser or gossip, we have missed the standard God has set. Suppose you and I throw a rock, try to hit the North Pole. You might think been further than I, neither of us would hit it. When the bows at all sin and bow short of means, we have all come short of God's standard perfection, and thoughts worse words and deeds, we have not been perfect. So the first point is, we all centered on 323, rock. Can't hit the North Pole. God has set a standard. We've all come short. Then I'll say, no, I think you agree that's bad news. He said, yes, it is. Then I said, look what's at the bottom. But the bad news gets worse. And bad news number two, penalty for sin and death. Romans 6:3 says, all together again, for the wages of sin is death. There's the illustration. Suppose you worked for me and I paid you 50 bucks. 50 bucks would your wages, that's what you've earned. The Bible says that by sinning we've earned death. That means we deserve to die and be separated from God forever. So bad news is two points, two verses, two illustrations. We're all sinners, Romans 3.23, the rock. The penalty for sin is death, Romans 6.3, wages. Then i not say, no, I think you agree that's bad news. He said, yes, it is. Then i say, but after the Bible gives the bad news, it gives the good news. And look what's at the bottom. Since there's no way we could come to God, the Bible says that what? Say it. God came to us. And just yes, there are two things about bad news you need to know. There are two things about good news. The first is Christ died for you. Romans 5 eight says altogether, but God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, there's the illustration anyone can identify with, and that's why this booklet is circulating across the world in 59 different languages. Let's suppose you're in a hospital dying of cancer. I come to you and say, let's take the cancer cells from your body and put them into my body. If that were possible, what would happen to me? He said, you'd die. What well, after you? I'd live. Yes, I would die. You would live. I would die in your place. The Bible says Christ took the penalty we deserve for sin, placed it upon ourselves, and died in our place. Three days later, Christ came back to life to prove sin and death had been conquered. His claim to be God were true. So the good news, Christ died for you. Romans 5a cancer. Then i say, no, I think you're agreed. That's good news. He said, yes, it is. Then I say, look what's at the bottom. Just as the bad news got worse, the good news, guess what? Better. And good news number two, you can be saved through faith in Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says once more altogether, for by grace, undeserved favor, you have been saved, delivered from sin's penalty through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, faith means what? Trust. What must you trust Christ for? You must depend on him alone to forgive you and to give you eternal life. Just as you trust a chair to hold you to an effort of your own, so you must trust Jesus Christ to get you to heaven to an effort of your own. You may say, I'm religious. I go to church. I'm a good person. I help the poor. I don't do anything really bad. I've had people say all five of those in the same conversation. These are all good, but good living, going to church, help the poor, any other good thing you do cannot get you to heaven. You must trust in Christ alone. God gave eternal life as a gift. So, good news like the bad news. Two points, two verses, two illustrations. Christ died for you, Roman 5A cancer. You can be saved through faith if you nine. in the chair. My concluding question is, Is there anything keep you from trusting Christ right now? Now, the remainder of that simply explains how I help them think through and keep them from trusting Christ, pray with them as they tell God they're trusting Christ, and give assurance of salvation. And that, I think, can benefit from your own. But simply, a bad news, good news approach. Begin the opening question. Has anyone ever taken a Bible showing you how I can know for sure you're going to heaven? Bad news, good news. Two points. Two verses and two, oh, shake freak. You have it all down. Bad news is you are a sinner, Romans 3.23, the rock. Penalty for sin and death, Romans 6.23, wages. Good news, Christ died for you, Romans 5.8, cancer. You can be saved through faith, Ephesians 3.9, in the chair. Concluding question is, anything keep you from trusting Christ right now? But now the comments often made, the test of any teaching is not what the teacher taught, it's what the students have learned. Let's see how well you have it. Give the opening question. Has anyone ever taken a Bible showing you? How I can know for sure you're going to heaven. Bad news and then what? Good news. Two points, to what? Verses, to what? Illustration free you have it all down. Everybody. First point of bad news. Wall of Sinners versus? Well, in 323, illustration is? Rock. Second point is? Penalty is dead versus? Illustration is? Wait. Good news, point number one. Christ died for you, verses. Roman 5 8, illustration is? Cancer. Second point is? Saved by faith, verses are? Illustration is? Chair. Concluding question Anything keep you from trusting Christ right now? Okay, you're getting it. Let's try it again. Begin with the opening question. Has anyone ever taken a Bible showing you how I can know for sure going to heaven? Bad news, and then what? Good news. Two points Two what? Verses to what? Illustration freak out all out. Everybody first point of bad news. Well, verse is? <laughs> illustration is rock. Second point is penalty is death Verses Romans 6.23. Illustration is wages. Good news point number one. Christ died for you. Verses Romans 5.8. Illustration is cancer. Second point is you saved by faith. Verses are? illustration is. Share concluding question. Anything to keep you from trusting Christ right now? Okay, you're getting it. Let's try it again. But <laughs> here's the opening question Has anyone ever taken a Bible showing you how you can know for sure going to heaven? Bad news and then good news. Two points, two verses, two illustrations. Freak everybody. First point, bad news. Verses? Is, illustration is? Rock. Second point is? Tony's death, verse is? Romans six point three. illustration is? Wait, Good news. Point number one: Christ died for you. Verse is, five, Illustration is, cancer. Second point is, saved by faith. Verse are, 29 Illustration is, charity. Concluding question is: Anything keep you from trusting Christ right now? If you've not been able to tell, I am convinced. Repetition is the art of learning. <laughs> one time, a pastor introduced me by saying, No, Larry's going to come and give his message. If he says something you don't get it, don't worry about it. He'll say it again." <laughs> If he says it the second time you don't get it, don't panic or say it the third time. If he says it the third time you don't get it, don't worry about it, say it the fourth time. But if he says it the fourth time you don't get it, pay attention. He's only going to say it two more times. (laughs) Just to make sure you got it, let's try it one more time. Anybody, I mean anybody, caught looking at their booklet (laughs) will be rushing the rapture. (laughs) You thought I didn't see you. (laughs) You call that cheating. God calls it sin. (laughs) Okay. Begin with the opening question. Has anyone ever taken a Bible showing you? how I can know for sure. Go to heaven. Bad news and then good news. Two points, two verses, two strikes. Freak, everybody. First point of bad news. While sinners, verse is? Illustration is? Rock. Second point is? Penalty is death, verse is? Romans 6, illustration is? Rage good news, point number one. Christ died for you, Verses. Romans 5, 8, illustration is? Cancer. Second point is? Saved by faith versus are. Illustration is? Chair, concluding question is, anything keep you from trusting Christ right now? My point is, learn a method. Now, when I go through this with the lost person, I do it just like I did with you. I read everything else. I let him read the verses. I say, go ahead, read that verse. He reads, for all have sinned and fall short of glory of God. I read everything else. I let him read the verses. The advantage of the booklet, if he come to Christ, if he doesn't, you leave the booklet with them. And that's the advantage of the booklet. If you had all day and all night, I keep here that long, telling you stories of people who led their first person to Christ using the bad news, good news approach. I flipped the to Oregon to speak, and a medical doctor came up to me. He said, I so want to meet you because you, through your ministry, I was able to lead a doctor friend of mine in Christ because they taught me the bad news, good news approach I use that to lead him to Christ. And almost everywhere I go now, I'm meeting people who've been led to Christ by the people retrained, and I had no idea how exciting that would be. Now, you have there a bookmark. May I suggest you put this in your Bible, and every time you have your Bible study, review the bad news and good news to keep it fresh in your mind. This is not for non-Christians. This is for non-Christians. This is for you. You put in your Bible, and every time you have your Bible study review, the bad news, good news, keep it fresh in your mind. But the point is, learn a method. Okay, now back to your handout, number three. Okay, what's the third problem? Number three on page three. I may not be able to answer there. Now, you know how to fill it in. What is it? Questions and, somebody said it, questions and objections. Questions and objections. I don't believe there's a God. I don't believe the Bible. Christians are hypocrites. I don't think Christ was what he said he was. And that stuff so intimidates us. We're we'll afraid to say anything to anybody anywhere. Now, what's the problem, number one? A failure to understand your biblical responsibility. A failure to understand your biblical responsibility. A failure to understand your biblical responsibility. You say, Larry, what do you mean by that? There it is. God is not asking you to defend the gospel. He simply asks you to declare it. God is not asked to defend the gospel. God simply asks you to declare it. There is not one verse in this book, and I love this book. There's not one verse in this book says, can you defend me? God says, will you declare me? Now, you know why I find it interesting? Do you know who leads more to Christ than anybody else, as I was talking to the leaders about this afternoon? A brand new convert. And they don't know anything. All they know is Christ died for me. And they tell him, him, her, and her, and lead the world to Christ. God never says, Can you defend me? God says, Will you declare me? Okay, two. A tendency to forget how people brought to Christ. A tendency to forget how people brought to Christ. Now, those next two verses tell you how it happens. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith may not be in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. If you can answer every question, refute every objection, that does not bring people to Christ. They only come to Christ when the Holy Spirit takes the truth of the gospel, drives home the lost person's heart, and cause them to come to God by faith. Larry Moyer has never brought one person to Christ. God brings people to Christ. Please don't ever lose sight of that. Three, a misunderstanding of why. A misunderstanding of why people often ask questions and raise objections. Now, why do they? Basically, two reasons. They have not received the clear presentation of the gospel. I promise you, make the gospel clear, you'll get a lot less objections. It's hard to argue against the fact that Christ died for me. And B, they are putting up what's commonly referred to as a what? Smoke screen. Not always, but sometimes, all they're doing. Is repeating something that somebody else said. They have not thought through for themselves. Not always, but many, many times. Okay, now with that in mind, what solution? Number one, take the offensive, not the defensive. Take the offensive, not the defensive. Take the offensive, not the defensive. Now, please notice, I did not say be offensive. <laughs> I said take the offensive. Let me explain what I mean by illustrating what I mean. One time, a believer took me to lunch, brought an unsaved guy with him. Unsaved guy said to me, I don't know how in the world you can teach the Bible. That thing is so full of mistakes. I said, well, I've had other people tell me that, but nobody showed me one. Would you be kind enough to do that? Do you realize what I just did in 10 seconds? I went from defensive to offensive. He said, I don't have my Bible with me. I said, that's okay. I have my pocket New Testament here. We can just use that. I pulled it out. <laughs> at this point, he starts perspiring. <laughs> he said, I forget what book is found in. I said, I understand that. 66 books in the Bible. Let me name them one at a time, and maybe when I get a book where your mistakes found, it'll ring a bell. Genesis, sound familiar? What about Exodus? i would not get A from Leviticus. He said, now, wait a minute. I have never read the Bible. I said, now I am so confused. You said, four mistakes. You've not read it. Why'd you say that? He said, somebody else told me that. I said, suppose you wrote a book. I criticized it without reading it. Would that bother you? He said, yeah. I said, that's what you're doing. You're criticizing a book you've never read. I think if you're going to criticize, you ought to read it. Before he left, he agreed to get together with his friend once a week to start studying the Bible. You take the offensive, you never take the defensive. If they say to me, Christians are hypocrites, I'll say, I'll admit that too often that's true. But for everyone who's not living the life, I'll show you another person who is. Will you come with me for one day? Let me introduce you to all the Christians who are living the life. I then pull out my calendar. I say, how does Wednesday of this week look? I could meet you at 9 o'clock. I've never had one person take me up on it. <laughs> but you take the offensive, you never take the defensive. Okay, two. Keep the conversation centered on the gospel. Keep the conversation centered on the gospel. Now again, what's the gospel in ten words? Say them. "Cried died for our sins and rose from dead. When Russia first broke open, a woman who went with us to Russia Earned half the witness to her husband at home. And she came home and went through the bad news, good news. He brought up something that was not related. She said, there's not the gospel. He brought up something else that was not related. She said, there's not the gospel. He brought up something else that was not related. She said, there's not the gospel. He told me to my face. He said, Larry, the thing that brought me to Christ is she wouldn't get off the gospel. (laughs) And the point is, you keep your conversation centered on the gospel. Three. Make each situation a learning experience. Make each situation a learning experience. Make each situation a learning experience. Dawson Trotman, who founded the ministry called The Navigators, once said, they may catch me once, but they'll never catch me twice, the same question. If you don't know the answer, look it up and get prepared next time. Now, why is that helpful? Because I get asked 10 questions a year. And they're the same old ten. Year after year after year after year after year after year. So you learn how to answer them once. You are prepared for that same question every time it comes up. They may catch you once, don't let them catch you twice. Make every situation a learning experience. And four, be willing and unashamed to say, now you know how it filled in. What is it? I don't know. Be unashamed to say. I don't know. Now, there are two things that convey when you say, I don't know, and they both start with an H. What are the two things that convey when you say, I don't know? They both start with an H. What are they? Humility and what else? Honesty. Humility and honesty. And they are wisdom with non-Christians. Be unashamed to say, say, I don't know. Okay, what's the fourth problem? Don't know how to turn a conversation. Trader can I answer question objection. Don't know how to turn the gospel. It took me two years of angelism. That's all it took to find out what a big problem this fourth one is. I don't know where I'd find the time. I don't know how to follow up a new Christian. I don't know where I'd find time. I don't know how to follow up a new Christian. I don't know where I'd find time. I don't know how to follow up a new Christian. What's the number one concern of people in 2016? It's not money. That was 50 years ago. What's the number one concern of people in 2016? Time. So, Christians tend to be conscious of people. If they think, I leave some of the Christ, I will help them grow. Since I don't have time to help them grow, I might as well let them go to hell. <laughs> now, we don't say that. But you realize that's what we're saying? If I leave some of the Christ, I will help them grow. Since I don't have time to help them grow, I might as well let them go to hell. Now, don't misunderstand. I want to see people grow. But even if they don't, they're still not going to hell. Please don't confuse anything in the Christian life with living in, or you will really confuse the gospel. Now, with that in mind, what's the problem? You have to take responsibility upon yourself that biblically is placed upon the local church. You have to take responsibility upon yourself that biblically is placed upon the local church. If you need someone to cry, don't have time to follow up, see one of your pastors. Because someone here tonight has a time. There's no way I could follow for everybody to cry. God does not expect me to. According to this book, follow-up is a job of local church. So if you need someone to cry, don't have time to follow up, see one of your pastors because someone here tonight does. Okay, two. You may have failed to look at your time and resources from heaven backwards. You may have failed to look at your time and resources from heaven backwards. Backwards. You say, Larry, what do you mean by that heaven backwards? Look at those next verses. Was there hope or joy or proud of crown rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of Christ that is coming? You're our glory and joy. Before you go to bed tonight, take five out. Get underneath the tree in a living room, kitchen, bedroom, wherever. Take five out. You have just died. You're face to face with Jesus. What will you wish had been? The most important thing in your life. Whatever they're going to be then, make it important now. Live life from heaven backwards. When you stand before Christ, there's no remorse, no regret. Before you go to bed tonight, take five out, you have just died. You're face face with Jesus. What will you wish in bed the most important thing in your life? Whatever they're going to be then, make it important now. Live life from heaven backwards. As someone said it so well, the most important things in life are not things. And so live life from heaven backwards is people. Okay, three, you have overlooked the foundational principle of follow-up. A new believer needs you more than he needs your knowledge. A new believer needs you more than he needs your knowledge. A new believer needs you more than he needs your knowledge. People best at follow up don't have big heads. They've got big hearts. It's not how much do you know, it's how much do you care. I can promise you, based on 42 years of traveling as evangelist, it's your presence, not your Bible IQ that makes a difference for the new convert. It's your presence that makes a difference. Okay, four, you've overlooked the abundance of Christian resources. You've overlooked the abundance of Christian resources. We are living, God bless 2016. There's so much available to help you to stop a new converse. All you need is one index finger to turn on a recorder, to turn a page of a notebook, uh, and the two of you can learn to grow together. OK, with that in mind, what solution? Number one, arrange to meet with the new believer once a week for eight weeks. Arrange to meet with a new believer once a week for eight weeks. Arrange to meet with a new believer once a week for eight weeks. Or find another believer who can do the same. The best follow-up there is, is somebody meets them once a week for eight weeks. In our outreaches, before they ever start, we've got people ready to meet with them once a week for eight weeks. It's your presence that makes the difference. And two, let the abundability of resources help you. Let Let the abundability of resources help you. Let the abundability of resources help you. Our association has three things. Welcome to the family, growing the family, 31 days living as a new believer, let that material help you. Now, with that in mind, don't miss what I have in bold print. Let's say it loudly, slowly, and clearly together, all together. The issue is never, are you afraid or what are you afraid of? But instead, what are you doing to overcome those fears? Once more together, the issue is never, are you afraid or what are you afraid of? But instead... What are you doing to overcome those fears? When you stand before Christ, be rewarded as a believer. It'll be embarrassing to say, I was afraid. That's why I never mentioned your name. It'll mean everything to say, I was afraid. And you know how you help me overcome those fears and see him abundantly reward you. It's just not, are you afraid? What are you afraid of? But instead, what are you doing to overcome those fears? Now, I've got one thing to say in closing, but before I do, several things. First of all, is called the bad news, good news approach. You begin with the opening question Has anyone ever taken a Bible showing you how I can know for sure you're going to heaven? Bad news and then good news. Two points, two verses, two strikes, three. Everybody, first point, bad news. Verses, is, illustration is rock. Second point is penalty is death, verse is Romans 6.3 illustration is wages. Good news, point number one. Christ died free verses. Roman 58, illustration is? Cancer. Second put is saved by faith verses are? Illustration is? chair. Including question is, is there anything keeping you from what? Trusting Christ right now. Okay. Now in your material, you receive an item called eventel, who we are. On the back is where we are going. If there's so many times people say to me, You've helped me, what can I do for you? You know what my answer is? Pray. And nothing would mean more to know that you are praying for us every single day. And to help you understand about our ministry, people say to me, You didn't spend any time talking about Evangel. It's because I did not come for that reason. I came to talk about Evangelism, not Intel. But there it explains who we are, where we are going, and we would so appreciate your prayers. God has so blessed the ministry that every single minute now, five people somewhere in the world here in the gospel. I resolve our ministry. We train people in four areas, the church, the academic, workplace, then community groups like pregnancy resource centers. We are now in just under 750 pregnancy resource centers training pregnant women, training volunteers, how they pregnant women to Christ. We know now that a minimum of 5,000 babies a year are not being aborted. Because the mothers are coming to Jesus. And the answer to abortion is not protest, it's proclamation. They need the gospel. And we are now in just under 750 pregnancy centers training volunteers how to lead pregnant mothers and their boyfriends to the Christ. And God is greatly blessed, and that will tell you how to pray for us. Then there's an item called free evangelism resources. Years ago, we decided people so much come to their homes from many areas. We said something encouragement evangelism. So we start a ministry called The Toolbox. It's now three to four times a year designed to encourage you in evangelism. We always answer questions that people have. Movies and books often show society's fascination with end-time events. Is there a way to use this on a springboard for the gospel? And we always answer questions people have in evangelism. I have people say to me, I don't care what you change as your ministry grows. Please don't stop sending me The Toolbox. We would love to send it to every one of you, but please, if you would, give us your name and email address. Obviously, postage-wise, it's undoable, but what we can do is send it to you by email. So if you'd like to receive it, take a second right now, and please print, because if your handwriting's like mine, you're in trouble. <laughs> please print your name, and, uh, your name, and then carefully print your email address, because the toolbox does go out by email. And we can email it to you. So if you'd like to receive it, take a second right now. Give us your email address. Then tear off that top part. Keep the bottom part because it gives you all the books I've written on evangelism to help you. Tear off the top part. Print your name and address. Name and email very carefully so we can read it. And then tear off the top part. And then if you would, send it to the aisles. And in a moment, maybe one of you men could collect those for me. But if you'd like to receive it ten out, three or four times a year, the only thing will do, remind you to pray for us, and we would really appreciate their prayers. So if you'd like to receive it, take a second right now, tear off that top part, keep the bottom, and, uh, because it gives the books I've read. Now, when it comes to those books, look at the last one on the left, 31 Days with the Master of Fishmen. told me, I read that devotional and learned how to share Christ out of grace, not guilt. Evangelism is not a guilt trip; it's a grace trip. It's a privilege you do not deserve. And Trisha told me that book had changed her whole attitude about evangelism. Thirty-one days, the Ms. Fitcher. drop in four books. Twenty-one thing God never said is one of our most popular. If you don't know the date you were saved, you are not saved. Wrong. The Bible never says that. If you're afraid of evangelize, you don't love Jesus. Wrong. The Bible never says that. If you have a chance to witness and don't, they go to hell, is your fault. Wrong. The Bible never says that. 21 things that God never said to hold people back in evangelism. But those books are there to help you. But again, take and tear the top part off if you would. Give us your email address if you want to get in the toolbox. Again, send out three or four times a year designed to encourage you to evangelism. Right here, I have a copy of it. And uh, then test of the aisles. And maybe I could have what are you meant if you would collect those for me. Uh, and then I'll see that you get a copy of it, but designed to encourage your So pass them quickly to the aisle. Then somebody will come and collect those. Now, with that in mind, uh, does anyone have a quick question or two before I say one thing in closing? Anyone have a quick question or two? Okay. Week, for eight weeks. Yeah, good question. When they come to Christ, we give them 31 days living as a new believer, right there in the spot, and they go through it every day. Then for eight weeks, we use welcome to the family. That's when we use the follow-up, welcome to the family, because you can go through a part of it every week for eight weeks. And don't forget, your presence makes the difference. Okay, anything else? You guys are great, fantastic. You really are. Okay, one thing in closing, now turn back to the pastor. Heart to heart. I'm convinced what God is crying out for today are churches in the Bahamas that reach and teach. There are those that reach, but they don't teach. Then there's those that teach, but they don't reach. What well, the heart of God is crying out for are churches that reach and teach. But a church is not a building. This is not the church. A church is people. So if this church is going to have that balance, it starts with you. So may I suggest you go to bed tonight, saying in prayer what's been said in poem. Lay some soul upon my heart and love thy soul through me, and may I humbly do my part to lead thy soul to thee. Lay some soul upon my heart and love thy soul through me, and may I humbly do my part to lead thy soul to thee. Let's say it together. Lay some soul upon my heart And love thy soul through me. And may I humbly do my part to lead thy soul to thee. Again, lay some soul upon my heart and love thy soul through me. And may I humbly do my part to lead thy soul to thee. Here's what will happen. A boy is walking along the seashore and he saw gobs of starfish. So he started picking them up, throwing them back in the water. A man came along and he said, what are you doing? Boy said, I'm saving these starfish. And the man said, you cannot save all those starfish. There are thousands of starfish. Can't save all those starfish. And the boy picked up one starfish. He looked at the man and he said, I may not make a difference in every starfish, but I'll make a difference in this one. (laughs) And he threw it back in the water. You will not lead everyone in that salt to Christ. But if you lead one person in your life, First of all, you will never recover. There is no recovery known to man. And secondly, you will go to your grave, part of the 5% of all Christians who ever not someone to Christ, instead of the 95% who don't. Studies have proven 5% of all Christians lead someone to Christ, 95% don't. You know why they don't? They're not talking to anybody. Because you cannot talk to anybody without sooner or later being someone to Christ. And so you'll go to your grave, part of the 5%, not the 95 So may I suggest we go to bed. Again, saying in prayer what's been said in poem together. Lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul to me. And may I humbly do my part to lead that soul to thee. And I promise you, 2016 will be one of the greatest years of your life.